In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose. As long as the Packers lose. For everything you need to know, it's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bill. Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the rarest of rare, the Chicago Bears win in back-to-back games. We're going to be talking about MLB uh, off-season hot stove. Uh, we'll be talking some Blackhawks and Bulls and more. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You could see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. The season is going on right now, and Christmas is coming right around the corner. So why don't you head on over to IceHawks.com, get your family members and loved ones and friends some hats, shirt, jersey tickets, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Alex, back-to-back games. Okay, have- Sean, I I, I want to invite you really quick to something special. Can I do that? Sure. Okay, so I want to welcome you to Restaurante a la Bears. Your table is right here. Uh, have a seat. The special today, which we are all eating, is Jared Goff. We are eating him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, we own that dude. Should be two and zero against them. Frankly, should be. I mean, the Bears, the Bears in the two games against the Lions. The Lions, who a lot of people are, are saying are legitimate Super Bowl contenders, or at least NFC Championship contenders. Um, the Bears have outplayed them in the two games. At least six out of the eight quarters, arguably seven of the eight quarters. Yeah, and. I mean, here's the thing, is today's game, they did not allow themselves to blow it. There were plenty of windows of opportunity where you could have looked at in the fourth quarter even and said, oh no, here we go. They didn't connect on this pass or they didn't make this play, but they kept their foot on it and they did not allow themselves to crumble. They they went out determined not to allow what happened last time in Detroit happen against them. They said they wanted revenge. They got it. And they got it big time. And as the game went on, they got more and more pressure on Jared Goff and just swallowed him up. I mean, they did not even let him throw. They were all over him. And you see how this defense is playing. I mean, this is the biggest win of the year. You look at the other wins they have. They they have five wins now. And look, you look at the, the first four. Okay, against Washington Commanders, they're not that great. Then you beat the Raiders with Brian Hoyer. That You know, you should be trouncing them. Um, and then you had the win against the Vikings last week where you won – barely 12 to 10 you know it was a a very very low scoring affair so here you are and and then of course you beat the panthers too you know you barely beat the 
with your backup quarterback, you, you Bryce Young and the worst team in the league. But here you are against a nine and three team and you can point out the flaws all you want with the lions. They're still a nine win team and they're poised to win this division and they have an offense that can score. They went out and smothered them. You didn't let Amon Ross St. Brown beat you. You didn't let Dave Montgomery beat you. And you sure as hell didn't let Jared Goff beat you. This has got to be the biggest win of this regime, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, this is the biggest win. I mean, for for a number of reasons, it's uh, the best opponent win, um, and it's also the you know a division win. It's also the first time you've won back to back games. Period. Um, so it's it's a multitude of reasons. It's the best quarterback that you've won against in two years. And the longest winning streak of the season two. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, um, you know, and you know, I, I want to celebrate this, you know, there's, there's things that we still have to deal with, but, Mm -hmm. um, there's, I do want to celebrate a lot and, and talk to the good things here. Um, first and foremost, that defense is playing super well. Super well. You see Uh, what happens when you have pressure on the quarterback? Montez Sweat makes that defensive line so much better. So much better. Yeah. And he had a sack today. And he did. And, uh, you know, he was, he was the reason that, you know, you got other sacks. His, he's, he's a force of nature. And teams have to account for him and it allows other people the freedom to uh, single coverage or, you know, uh, free lanes, et cetera, because they don't want to give up that pressure to Montez sweat. And uh, you're seeing, you're seeing the benefit. You know, I know a lot of people were down on the, you know, the, the compensation that we gave up for a guy that um, will be a free agent. And, Oh, what if we, what if we can't resign him? This is going to be the nail in the coffin to Ryan poles um, is the bears would not have traded for him. If they didn't feel they could get a deal done fact. And they, they traded for him. And at the time that they were, they were trading that pick. It was it was looking like the thirty fourth pick overall, mm-hmm. and, and now it's going to be probably fortieth, forty first. That's a big difference, um, and you're not going to get the the pass rusher that you want at that pick. Right. And I know we're I know we're all gun shy because of the chase Claypool trade. And and I still, to this day will argue that the logic behind the, that trade made sense. It was um, their professional scouting, you know, did, didn't work out. Right. And I mean, here's the thing, you know, I'm going to quote a shout out to Brad Robinson. He's uh, one of my guys on Twitter. And he said so far that, 
the win for Montez Sweat is much bigger than the loss of Chase Claypool. And I think he's right. Yeah, I agree. Because it's, again, like you said, the difference is extraordinary. It's it's huge. What difference? This team could not touch a quarterback to save their lives for the first, what, 20, 25 games of the Eberflus regime? Couldn't yeah. touch them. They were dead last in sacks last year. And now you're seeing that pressure growing. Even when they don't get a sack, there's pressure. And you saw it. I mean, Jared Goff was kind of going into desperation mode at the end. And you saw that even down two scores, they were trying to run the ball. Because, you know, Detroit is good at running the ball. And, you know, they they had some nice runs. Did Detroit, you know, even, even as good as the Bears' run defense has been, Detroit's executed pretty well on the run and they had a few big plays in the fourth quarter, but when you're able to sniff that stuff out and you're down, then you got to put the ball in your quarterback's hands. And you know, the bears, they were not playing prevent. They, they learned their lesson. They were going after him like a predator in their prey. Yeah. You know, and and it's not just one unit. It's the linebackers have been very good. Tremaine Edmonds had a nice day. Yeah. I mean, TJ Edwards has been great all season long. Um, but the defensive line played pretty well. You saw the defensive backs play pretty well. Um, I believe I heard let me let me just double check this before I say it and sound stupid. Jaquan Brisker. Mm-hmm. confirming here had 17 tackles insane 17 tackles that's a good game that was definitely one of his better games of the season probably his, i mean when you have 17 tackles it's you know he's the only the only thing and i don't really i'm not mad at him for it or anything i'm not trying to criticize is could you imagine if he would have gotten a hand on that that ball that could have been an interception you know i at live i I was like, oh my God, how did he drop that? I watched the replay slower. It was more difficult than it looked. It would have been a real heck of a play to to get that. Um and but I mean it was a nice pass breakup regardless. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're just seeing guys play well, and it's not like spectacular plays, it's just overall executing executing well so you're not hearing like oh man this guy made a great play it's uh you know they're making plays without the penalties that was a big thing today too that i don't think a lot of people are talking about the bears were very disciplined today and detroit was not oh yeah and that's in the eberflus era that or at least this season that has not been the case you have not seen the Bears have less penalties than their opponent. And the Bears played a really clean game. They did. I mean, you think about the, like the false starts that you saw in this game and the offsides. I mean, that was mostly all Detroit doing that stuff. And the the Bears didn't commit a single pass interference call today, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, I don't believe so. Uh, they they didn't really go after Jalen Johnson at all. 
Um, they didn't they really get a pick, though. They did. Uh, they didn't really go after Kyler Gordon. They tried going after Tyreek Stevenson a little bit, and he had a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw, you saw their their top flight wide receiver, um, Amon Ross St. Brown. He had big time drops, and he wound up with twenty one yards on three catches. Which, as a Bears fan, I love. As a fantasy owner with him on my team, but that, <laughs> I'll I'll take. I'd rather have my team win than my my fantasy. I'll I'll. I mean, I'm gonna. For, so I got a couple of leagues. The one league I'm in, and uh, you know, shout out to my friends uh, Andrew Keller and John Rushi, who's been on the show before. Uh, they're in my league, uh, loyal listeners, and uh, we do a small league where it's six teams and everybody makes the playoffs regardless. So like last year I had the worst regular season and then ended up going to the super bowl. Uh, so <laughs> slow and steady wins the race. Right. But you know, a point being either way is Amon Ross St. Brown is their number one target. And he was a non-factor today. He was an absolute non-factor. Uh, yeah, today in my fantasy league, I lucked out a lot. Um, is, I, my tight end is TJ Hawkinson, who is the number one tight end in fantasy in, uh, in my league. And I was like, oh, man, is he having a bad day? And and I'm like, oh, my God, the Vikings, the Vikings aren't getting doing anything on offense. And I was like, oh, good. The other my opponent has Justin Jefferson. So like it just sort of offsets. Um, but, man, I had Lamar Jackson who had a. Uh, over 300 yards and three touchdowns. I had Joe Mixon who had 80 yards and a touchdown. Um, and my opponent had Gardner Minshew. So I think I'm going to win this one, which means I will be the number one seed going in and getting a bye first round of the playoffs. Um, ESPN is telling me I have a 77% chance of winning. Now I'll know tonight because my opponent has all the rest of his players in tonight's game. You, when you choke away that lead. <laughs> so hopefully this is a defensive battle tonight because I'm, I will be crushing it then. <laughs> Cause I still have, I still have a uh, Tyreek Hill tomorrow. <laughs> uh, he's been my, he's been my X factor. I put a lot of stock into Justin Herbert as my fantasy QB and boy, has that not looked good. Uh, so this bears game. So we talked the bears defense as a whole was a bright spot. They did a great job of bottling everything up. Um, you know, running wise, it was, it was probably their worst effort, uh, in a while against the run. But, I, absolutely. Um, but Detroit's really good at that, you know, but honestly it's, the the runs from David Montgomery, most of those were fourth quarter. Uh, you take out those fourth quarter runs, and he was contained. And then there was a couple big runs from from Gibbs. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it was it was the 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 big gashes that that caused it. But I mean, really, they gave up 130 yards rushing, which is not that bad. No, it's not that bad, especially considering the fact that you're 
that uh, you held the quarterback to under 200 yards passing and two turnovers. Yeah. Well, and, three and turnovers if you count the fumble. I, I I think that fumble was on the the center, but you know that's it's still a fumble. It's going to go down as a fumble on here. I mean, that's just the reality yeah. of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially like under 200 yards, you know, for a quarterback that does not run. That no, is, no, that's great. Um, I want to talk about uh, Justin Fields had a pretty darn good game. Um, there's you know. still still some still some of those inconsistent issues though yeah but here I, I, I want to uh, I want to to take an opportunity real quick here is um, alright so where do we go if you know, oh, Justin Fields, we he hasn't had that game that just blows us away. There's still some inconsistencies. Okay, I get it. But we also have to take into account that uh, the constraints he's in with, with this offensive coordinator. Which but, is, is valid. It's valid. But I, I, I want to be very cautious because if – if you are willing to pass on Justin Fields, you, that means you're probably going to go use that pick from the Panthers as your as a quarterback, right? Yeah, and I, I don't even want to go there yet. I'm not even going there yet. I, I'm just I, – I just want to make the observations of what I saw because, I mean, frankly, what I saw was what he did with his legs today was pretty fucking awesome. And the fact that in two straight weeks, he's bent, but he hasn't broken. He's rebounded. I mean, I just think that there were times where he just wasn't very accurate. And there were times where he had the time in the pocket and he just, it it was that same thing, wasn't throwing the ball. Now, I'm not saying he had a bad game. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying he had a bad game. I just, there, there's just still some flaws in there. I mean, there are, there I, are but you know, I want to, I want to take into account again, you're, you're going against one of the better defenses in the NFL. And are they though? I mean, they've been pretty damn bad recently. They've had a couple of bad games, but overall they're still one of the better defenses. And mm-hmm. you, you were down how many wide receivers? Like, well, you were down Equinemius St. Brown. You were um They had to call a practice squad, guys. And Valus Jones was active, obviously. Um, but you know, I, I just want to say is you know, I, I know you were not getting to this point, but I do want to say that I think it's based on what we've seen the total package this season, Justin Fields has to be your quarterback next year. And partly because of the numbers he's put up and you've seen the good things, even with some 
dog shit play calling. And and Luke Getze at times has shown signs of life, but then he just, you know, he can't be consistent. Be like the one scripted drive first drive is always great. Yeah. It's after that. It's just, he's a bad in-game play caller is, but my, my point that my rambling point is number one, what historically have the bears drafted quarterbacks look like? If you could describe it as one word, their history. Okay. Puke. All right. So they've already got that against them. I just want to run through the, the last few years of first round quarterbacks. And obviously this past year doesn't mean anything because you know, they're, they haven't even completed a season yet, but 2022, uh, the only first round quarterback was Kenny Pickett. He hasn't been very good. Um, 2021 Trevor Lawrence has been decent. I, I not elite by any stretch, but he's been pretty decent. Zach Wilson, bad day to say it because he had a good game today, but he's been atrocious. Um, Mac Jones has been awful. Uh, Trey Lance, terrible. Justin Fields, pretty good. And so that's, depending on how you look at Justin Fields, that's either a 60 or an 80% fail rate in that draft class. The year before, Kyler Murray uh, looked looked like he was going to be good and then just has sort of, uh, you know, failed. Uh, Hoskins, terrible. Um, and oh, who else? There was one more uh, quarterback taken that year, but – I would say that's a a big failure for all of those first round quarterbacks. The year before, Baker Mayfield, Darnold, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Rosen. So that's a sixty percent failure of first round quarterbacks. Um, Twenty seventeen, you know, the best of those years because you got Patrick Mahomes, but Watson started off really good, but you know, ever since the whole you know incident uh he's had a whole season of of suspension and he's been bad since um and then trubisky is bad um 2016 golf not good Wentz terrible lynch bad you know that's that's a pretty bad fail rate uh, the year before, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota were the two first-round quarterbacks. It's 100% fail rate. The year before, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, and Teddy Bridgewater. And Bridgewater has had a long career, but it's been predominantly as a backup. Um, 2013, EJ Manuel was the only first-round quarterback. Fail. The year before that, Andrew Luck, who had a short but pretty good career. Ryan Tannehill has been, um, you know, a mad quarterback, uh, uh, Brandon Whedon, terrible RG three had a couple good years, but then after that stunk, um, that's a lot of fails the year before that cam Newton was good, but Jake locker, Blaine Gabbert and Christian ponder like, you know, overall 
that's a pretty high fail rate of first round quarterbacks. It is. It is. And yeah, I mean, what is that? That's probably, that's probably like a two thirds or higher fail rate. Um, and you know, I've, I've heard, uh, Danny Parkins say that he wants to get a quarterback that is generational, that can make you a Super Bowl contender every year. And that would be great. We all but do. It, but in that list of, in this list, since I went back to what, 2011? I went back to 2011. How many of those names are the guy that, that gets you there? Two, right? Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes? Yeah. Um, I mean, Jalen Hurts, maybe. He was, he was second rounder. Oh, you're just talking first. Okay, fair. Yeah, enough. first rounders. Yeah. Got, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that's, yeah, um, that, that's fair. Yeah, two. Two in, you know, since 2011 out of a lot of first round quarterbacks, you know, it, it's, it's not a good, a good odds. Um, you know, we've got a guy who, and honestly, it's the opposing players talk about how good he is. The opposing coaches talk about how good he is. It's our fans and media are the ones that, that tear down Justin Fields and I think honestly, you've got to just give him an offensive coordinator that knows how to call plays for him and build around him and build this team up. You know, you add with those two high first rounders, if you if you go stud defensive end and stud wide receiver, your defense just got even more stout and your offense got better um right away and uh you know so I, I i'm pro building up justin fields and since he's come back from that thumb injury those numbers have been pretty good and again i don't i i don't want to sound like i'm tearing down justin fields saying he had a bad game or saying that i'm fully giving up on him I, I I just I, I'm I'm being honest with this in-game assessment. I think there were a lot of good things he did. Don't I mean don't don't make that mistake. I mean that that dart to DJ Moore to give them the lead was an absolutely beautiful throw. And that was that was all him. That was it was not, all him. That was not anything that was a scripted play. That, that was, was a free play on fourth and thirteen. That was a yeah, is he he hard counted that guy off recognized it got the snap off before uh you know because a lot of times what happens is when the bears get the the offsides they blow the play dead or it's so bad that you know the play gets blown up and they just have to take the penalty but he was able to get the guy to jump and then get the playoff recognize the single coverage and make that beautiful throw that was all him. That was not the scripted play. That was not Getsy. That was all Justin Fields and and DJ Moore. So yeah. I want to give him a lot of credit for that. I do too. I do too. And some of those runs that he had, whether it was the run for the touchdown or the one early in the game where it looked like it was going to be a safety and then all of a sudden, boom, there's like a 30-yard gain. That was awesome. I mean, that was really awesome. Yeah, the the throw to Darnell Mooney that 
was just out of the reach of the defender. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that was, that was a great, really tight window throw where he had to have a weird arm angle to get that out and threw it where the defender couldn't get it. It was either going to be incomplete or, uh, you know, a big play. Yeah. It, it just, you know, and that was nice because it feels like to me that Mooney and fields are not on the same page on a number of occasions. And we saw that today. We saw that in the red zone late in the game where it was third down and, you know, they didn't connect and it would have been a first down. You could have chewed up some more clock. And again, it didn't end up mattering, but it, it seems like that they're not always on the same page more often than we would think. Whereas when he's finding DJ Moore, I mean, that that right there has been a duo made in heaven that we dreamed of. Uh, so, you know, you got to give him that. I just, you know, there there were times when today he just flat wasn't accurate. I mean, that throw late in the game, you, you know which one I'm talking about downfield, that's the one that, way over. Uh, that one, and then there was the one to Cole Komet. That Cole Komet should have caught it, hit him Cole Komet should have caught that. Cole Komet should have caught that. It, they were... I don't know if that was a bad throw or if there was miscommunication on if it was going to be an underthrow that where he turned or he caught it there or if it was throwing him, you know, to to keep running. That looked like a miscommunication rather than a bad throw, but it still, you know, uh, it was an incomplete. That should have been a completion. The overthrow, well, that was a bad one. Um, But I mean, overall... Justin Fields had a great day. It's the runs that get me are the Luke Getzey called runs because they're going to get that guy killed. There was too much of that today. There was way too much of that. There was one. There was. Uh, there was one in the red zone. There and was you the, just wasted it down. Yeah, that one. And then there was another one where Justin Fields got hit hard on a quarterback sneak. And, and I tweeted out at that point. I was like. Luke Etsy should be should go to jail for that one. Um, it's these the design runs the and the you know the overuse of the the design quarterback runs are just terrible. Justin Fields' best runs are when he drops back to pass, sees there's nothing, and then takes the opportunity because he's catching defenders off. Where I would love to get Justin Fields, and I you can watch it. He's he's totally starting to do this and is growing. It's he just needs more opportunities. Is where he gets, um, where he gets into forces that defender to either come up and try to make the tackle on him, or stay back and defend the guy catching the ball. And most, uh, most quarterbacks. You just you let them run. They'll pick up six, seven, eight yards. Justin Fields, you're like, nah, that guy could that guy could run all the way. And you've it makes you have to think a lot more. And those are the positions I would like to get him in where he's got DJ Moore or Cole Komet, and he's forcing that defender to to pick who he's gonna defend. And you see Justin Fields doing that when he, you know, he's got that in his mind um, and he's trying to, you know, to, uh, he's trying to, you know, get that in and uh, 
make that pass before he crosses the line of scrimmage. But I would like to get more of that. But really, Justin Fields' best runs are when the play breaks down or the defenders are out of position and where it's it's more organic and not um scripted. Yeah. Well, and and like when you're running with when you're doing design runs on like second and ten. What I don't get is why are you doing that? And yet when you were fourth and one, you tried that stupid like pitch or whatever. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. That was the fourth down uh, after right. the bad third down call. You had a, right. yeah, that was in my notes where the third, there was a third down quarterbacks uh, sneak that was bad. And then that fourth down pitch. And I starred that right after it happened. I was like, this is going to be, an important um this is going to be an important sequence in this game it turned out not to be as important but in that first half it was a big momentum shift it it flipped everything at the end of that half flipped everything yeah because I mean, you it, went into halftime down by 3 when you were up 10 nothing if if you would have lost that game that would have been one of the first places that you went back to and looked and went, that's where everything shifted. Absolutely. And that is zero on Justin Fields and all on Luke Getze. And, and I want to go back to this, this circles back to another point I wanted to make about one of my biggest things with Matt Eberflus. And the reason I'm still am in the fire Matt Eberflus should be fired at the end of the season is he does not, take accountability for things that go wrong it's never the coaching staff's fault it's either the defense made a really good play or the offense didn't execute and those though that sequence there he specifically talked about post game and he said that fourth down was the right call to make because they were outside of uh field goal range and he said it was the a good call on fourth down. The defense just made a really good play. And I I was in my car listening to the postgame and I wanted to scream and yell <laughs> because that's how can you just not be like, hey, you know, at no point did he consider making the, you know, uh taking accountability there is you shouldn't you should have punted. Your defense was playing great. You were in no man's land. I agree. You shouldn't have kicked that. You should have squib punted it and given them the long field to work with. They weren't working on it. Don't give them life. That stopping you on fourth down gave them life. You should have punted it. And you had a bad play call in there. That was not a good play call. And I would have just gone with a better play call, frankly. I, I, I probably would have kicked it there, but the if you're going to go for it, you better have a better play call. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I personally, I was, I was fully okay with going with it. It was the play call. And I know it's a completely different situation, but that's exactly what I, and I think most bears fans said, you remember that fourth down against uh, the Broncos when they were in field goal range. Yeah. And we said, you know what? We don't trust this defense to make a stop. So go for it on fourth down. We were okay with that, but the play call was so, so bad. And this, to me, even though it wasn't exactly the same situation, it was similar, in my opinion, of 
I'm okay going with it on fourth down, but don't do something like that. I mean, that was sniffed out immediately. And that's the kind of stuff that drives you crazy about it. It drove us crazy about Matt Nagy. It drives us crazy about Luke Getze. And even the announcers on TV who try to stay neutral are like, don't get cute with that stuff. And you know what else was really disappointing about that drive in particular is that you were set up to have another nice drive when Justin Fields found wide open Cole Komet. You remember that? Yeah. It's like, you know, that was a great, great fight wide open your tight end. And, you know, you get yards after the catch for a guy who isn't fast at all. And you're thinking, okay, that's a huge, big play. So you waste it. You don't even get points out of it. I mean, if you would have converted on that fourth down, got a few more yards, and you would have kicked a field goal, then okay. Now, obviously, again, this all doesn't mean anything. The Bears ended up winning by a decent margin, but it's that kind of stuff from Lou Getze that does handcuff Justin Fields in this offense, and it's it's just not just not necessary. It's not necessary to have that kind of play call impact games because it's impacted way too many games. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I'm going to go down is I, I don't think Luke Getze is stupid. I think he actually can like he understands offense and he would probably be somebody awesome to have as a offensive coordinator for a offensive head coach where the offensive head coach is the one calling the plays. Sure. Um, where he is helping you design that offense because I think he does like you could see it when he has those scripted uh, drives, they do well. It's in game when he's having to make calls in game. Uh, he just, he just freezes up and, and doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. I, I mean, you look, you look at what he was in green Bay, you know, he wasn't the OC in green Bay, but he was clearly highly thought of when he was there by his peers. I mean, even Aaron Rodgers said it. He he thought very highly of Luke Getze. And I think you're right. I think that if you were to ask someone to break down the sequence of an offensive play or an offensive scheme, Luke Getze could probably tell you in a very clear and concise manner. But when it comes to just this play calling himself, it just we see too much of this crap and you know i'll say this is that the play calling in the second half for the most part really didn't have a problem with it i mean now if justin fields connects with i think it was dj Moore that he overthrew towards the end right was that mooney or Moore that, that he more. overthrew that, that was, was more. more okay so if he would have connected with that throw i wouldn't even be saying this but as someone that doesn't like the typical Luke Getze conservative play calling, that was actually one spot where I'm like, okay, I'm I'm okay with just running the clock out here on the ground. But again, it, it didn't obviously matter. But, you know, other than that, I felt like the play calling in the second half as a whole wasn't awful. The Other than the opening drive, the first half was bad. Right. The first half was terrible. But I, I do want to stop and say, I dislike 
Luke Getze as much as anybody. But this week, um, he debuted those shoes with the cause for autism for his daughter. Mm-hmm. And people are going after him and using it against him. And completely unnecessary and uncalled for. Yeah, you can totally like if you want to shit all over him performance for his press conference. Cool. Don't go at him after him for, you know, things going on with his daughter. Yes. Super uncalled for. I mean, it, it was really sad seeing some of the stuff that was being said. And, you know, I, I try to try to really emphasize this is that this bears coaching staff I wish no harm on them personally or dislike them on a personal level. There is a difference of the person themselves and the job they do on a football field. I don't like the job they do on a football field, but as people, I'm not going to wish them harm or ill or, you know, make any insensitive comments towards them or their families personally. There, there's no need for that. They, they, they don't deserve that. Yeah, his his young children should be off limits, period. Yeah, yes, correct. Correct. Um let's see. Uh I I really, really, really like Deontay Foreman as a running back. I do too. That was a smart pickup by Ryan Poles, and you know, having him back, we saw a difference. I you know, he didn't go crazy, but you know, having him as part of that offense is a is a plus for the style of running that they've been doing this season, Deontay Foreman is a much better back than Khalil Herbert. And it's not a knock on Khalil Herbert. I just think Deontay Foreman is criminally underrated and he fits that style much better because he's a big bruising back. And um, I, I, I hope, I hope they're able to bring him back next season because uh, you know, I think he would he would be a huge asset. Um, I agree, and you know, I it, Khalil Herbert has not looked the same since he came back. No, he hasn't been getting the same amount of carries. But you're right. I think I think he's really just got to get back in the rhythm. He needs a he needs he's a that's a classic case of he needs a get right game. And you know what? You have an opportunity over the next few weeks to do that. And honestly, uh, not to, you know, be like this, but it doesn't really matter because they're not going to sign Khalil Herbert to an extension, I don't think. No, and I like Khalil Herbert, but he, I mean, look, they didn't sign Dave Montgomery, and I would say Dave Montgomery is a better back than Khalil Herbert. Yeah, and and I like David Montgomery, and I, you know, um, it's just the nature of of this beast is you you spend you spend a few you know every other year you pick up a running back in a draft in the mid to late rounds, right? And you, um, you know, you just that's that's how you do it. <laughs> it's you know, you've got uh, you've got Roshan Johnson, who has shown um, 
you know, some, some burst and he's going to be, he's going to be the guy that you count on. Yeah, absolutely. Now I think when looking at your situation with running backs and you see the improved play from the offensive line, as long as you have depth, then you can be productive in that sector of football. Because look at today. Look at today. I mean, Justin Fields did most of the rushing. And, you know, he's obviously your quarterback. His first job is to throw the ball, but he can run. You know, we know he can run. But when you have a guy like Foreman out there who just came back, you know, that that stuff makes a difference. But you know, you also credit your offensive line too for being able to open up holes and be able to make some of these things happen. It's a collective effort when it comes to the ground game. And, you know, the Bears might not have an in-prime Derrick Henry or a in-prime Dalvin Cook or an Aaron Jones, but it goes to show how effective you can be on the ground as a unit. And that right there just tells you that as long as you're able to execute those kinds of things, you can be a good rushing team. And, the, the like, you know, Deontay Foreman is a very nice underrated back, but let's let's be real. He's not Derrick Henry. He's not Aaron Jones. But they do it effectively. And it's really nice to have. I mean, honestly, I would love for them to bring back Deontay Foreman on another one-year, maybe even two-year deal. Um You've got Khalil Herbert for one more year. So next year is the last year of his deal. Roshan Johnson will be in year two of his deal. Um, and so it gives you it gives you a year where you don't have to draft anybody as the running back. It's you've got three three, two veterans and a, a young veteran at your running back spots. And then the year after, you know, you probably Foreman and Herbert both gone. Roshan is the workhorse back, and you have to draft a running back that year um, to be to be the one that that spells him. And that's that's not a bad place to be. It's you're setting yourself up because I think I think Roshan Johnson is a capable back, and uh, you know you're you feel good about a healthy Khalil Herbert and you really feel good about a healthy Deontay Foreman. And it's funny because I forget who it was, but you had a couple of bears beat writers talk about how Deontay Foreman might not even um, make this team. Mm -hmm. And he's been far and away your best running back all season long. Yeah. In a good running game, Mm -hmm. you know, like we, um, you know, we talk about, Oh, we lost David Montgomery, but, the running game has been better this year than last year. And our running game is better than the Detroit running game. So it's it, as much as I like David Montgomery and I'm glad he got paid and he's on a team that's doing better than the bears. It's we, we haven't really lost anything. No, we haven't. We, we, we really haven't. Um, Let's see what else. Um, I wanted to shit on Luke Getzey one more time. He had two weeks to prepare for that game 
and he didn't he didn't target his number one wide receiver drop you know plays for his number one wide receiver to get a catch until the second half and i know he got a touchdown and i know he had a couple of runs but you didn't target him in play routes until the second half and you had two weeks to prepare and you saw what happened when you started throwing to him that's when you opened excuse me you opened up in the lead um it, it's mind-boggling that you're like oh i got two weeks to prepare for you know this this nine win team let let me see how can we handcuff ourselves while we do this well you want some good news when it comes to preparation? Um, it's the first time they won a game after their bye week in like 10 years. Uh-huh. Can you believe that? <laughs> the Bears have been historically bad after the bye week. It, it, incredibly. Like most other years, they probably lose this game like 39 to 14. This is the exact opposite of what the Bears have been post bye week. Especially after a, you know, you you win a division game, you go on a bye week, and then you play the number one division team. Um, and you know, and another shit on Getzy is I, I keep making the point that it's not just the play calls with Getzy, it's the personnel. And go watch that game. And look how many times a non-wide receiver was split out wide. Kari Blossom game a couple of times was split out wide as a not as a as the wide out. Um, I saw Deontay Foreman split out as the wide out. Why are you having fullbacks and running backs? I mean, if it's Christian McCaffrey or somebody, okay, but why are you? putting your fullback and and your running backs uh in as the wideout. I I don't understand what what purpose is that is that creating? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's mind-boggling. So these plays they just don't make sense. Um then you had the sequence one of the worst sequences of the game is after you got that fumble recovery. Do you remember the sequence right after that for the Bears offense? Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's you had the the missed throw from Fields to Komet where Komet thought he was throwing, you know, behind him and uh, Fields threw an over-the-shoulder throw and it didn't catch him. That would have been a walk-in touchdown. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And then the next play was um, you had one of those wide receiver screen plays where nobody blocked the cornerback mm-hmm. and got blown up. And then after that was a, uh, Justin Fields had um, the 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 play broke down and Justin Fields came and and ran out and got the touchdown. But that was on on Justin Fields. That was not the design play. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's frustrating the the sequences that you have in there. Yeah. You know? Um. It's 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 a sign of a bad. I I recognize that 
offensive play callers have plays that they like to do. You know, even even when if you play Madden NFL, there's there's plays that you like. You you feel comfortable with them. You feel like you can do things with them, and you go to the well a lot. But Luke Getzey with that stupid wide receiver screen. It's one thing if you got. It's like you saw it work the first time in the preseason and you're like, ho, 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 this is it. And that's the only time it's worked was that first time in the preseason. It's he keeps going to that and it's super frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely is. Um, let's see what else. Um, yeah, the last thing I wanted to talk about is uh, this was a this was on the fluce is that Jameer Gibbs touchdown run the the first touchdown is uh, Montez Sweat was not in on that run. You're you're in a goal line, not a goal line, but you're in a red zone situation, and uh. The guy who sets the edge best on anybody on your team is not in, and they bounce a play out and score a touchdown. You know, had he been in, it's a good chance he stops that, and you wind up, you know, forcing them to kick a field goal. Um, it, it's just frustrating. Is why why is Aiden Hutchinson in like ninety eight percent of plays? And Montez Sweat is in like, you know, 50. Well, and I know they were talking about like working him into a new system, which to an extent I get. But yeah, it would have been nice to have him out there uh, on that play. But, you know, it, luckily it, it didn't matter. But I, I definitely, definitely hear what you're saying. It's, it's, it's you know, if you're going to work him out, be in less downs where you desperately need him. Like, I don't know, red zone, but, um, you know, he's, he's a difference maker. He should be in more. Yeah, I agree. Um, the last thing I, I have to say, you know, the, the floor is yours after that is, mm -hmm. um, based on, Based on the results of games since we last talked, Arizona won a game. Mm -hmm. New England won a game. Huge. Strength of schedule has um, straightened back out. As it stands right now, in the remaining, uh, the remaining four games that the Carolina Panthers have for any chance of them losing the first round pick or the worst record, they would have to go three and one. And do you happen to have those opponents in front of you? I do. Let's I hear do. them. Uh, so next week is Atlanta. Um, who is vying for a playoff spot. Uh, then would be the Green Bay Packers, who are vying for a playoff spot. 
and playing well. Then you would be going to Jacksonville, who are vying for a playoff spot. Then you would be going back home to play Tampa, who are vying for a playoff spot. So you have four four playoff contenders in your last four games, and you've got to go three and one when you've not won or you've only won one game this season. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be tough for them to do. And do I think they could win another game? Yes. Winning three, that's going to be pretty tough. Pretty tough. And that's assuming that is assuming that the uh, Patriots and the Cardinals don't win any more games. And the Patriots, um, they still have to play the Jets. Um, and Buffalo's tough. Kansas City's tough. Denver's a possibility. But the Jets are a winnable game. And Arizona has the Bears. And... Seattle potentially without their quarterback. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, even if those teams lose out, you've got, based on the strength of schedule and a two two game cushion, uh, this is this is looking more and more like the uh, the Bears are going to get the number one overall pick. Isn't there a chance to get that number one pick like in the 80% or something? I bet it's higher than that um, after today. Yeah, I guess I did look at those odds before because, you know, obviously Carolina lost again today. So I know that they went into the 80s after the Patriots won the other night. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, da, da, da. let's see. I'm looking at this article because they make me read it so much before the Bears had now have a 93.2% chance of landing the number one pick. Those 90, are pretty good odds. 93.2. Those um, are pretty good odds. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, I mean, the swing in confidence over the past week, if you just go back to last Sunday, because because then the the Cardinals won, right? The Cardinals won, but you had uh, going into last week, the strength of schedule flip flopped. So the Patriots were only one game behind, but the strength of schedule flipped. So it's the team with the easiest the lowest strength of schedule gets the benefit and new england dropped by like uh 0.001 uh so it was the the smallest of margins went lower strength of schedule and they were only one game behind so it's you know you're like oh okay that's that's a realistic you know spot with um you know five games left and then the strength of the schedule realigned so now uh 
Carolina has the worst strength of schedule and then New England won. Um, so you suddenly now have basically two and a half game lead. Yeah, that's um, feels pretty promising at the moment. And really, when you look at the rest of the year, you're looking at two main impact things. You're looking at are wins going to save the coaching staff? And is there going to be enough for the Bears to say, hey, Justin Fields is our guy? Those are going to be the two things. Because you're, you're going to get that high draft pick, whether it's yours or not. I mean, the Bears have their own draft pick, but you have the Carolina pick, and it's looking really good like that's going to be the number one overall. So I'm not even thinking about wins or losses in terms of draft position this year when it comes to the Bears themselves. It's all dependent on what the Carolina Panthers do and the other teams that aren't far behind them, what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking the bears are probably their, their own pick is going to be around number 10. That's if you win a few more games here, I mean, it would make sense. Yeah. Um, So I'm, I'm like last year at this time, I was rooting for them to, to lose so they could get that number one pick because it does. We all were. Yeah. It, it, you know, if you're going to, you already went through a shitty season, you might as well reap some rewards and the, the bears, the bears got a lot from getting that number one pick. They got, It it was a, I mean, think about it. You're getting DJ Moore and you're about to get the first overall pick in this year's draft. And, and you got, and you've got a starting right tackle for the next 15 years. Um, so you've, you're, you got, you know, a lot. Uh, and don't you also get a second in there somewhere like next year? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, I mean, it, it's, it's funny because, you you go back and forth on the value of that first overall pick and you compare that to the value of DJ Moore and DJ Moore was I thought the minute you got DJ Moore I'm like wow that is a great pickup it's looking even better of a pickup than we initially thought yeah um so you get so the bears got they get uh not in not this upcoming draft the next year's draft they get carolina's second rounder too i mean this trade is looking like one of the all-time fleeces that the bears have ever pulled off yeah so you ended up getting uh the number nine pick last year DJ Moore, the n- number 61 overall pick last year, the num most likely the number one overall pick this year, and the following year's second round pick. And honestly, the Panthers are not going to be very good the year after either. Um, so it's probably gonna be a pretty good second rounder. Yeah, that but, seems a mess. But all in all, uh, you know, essentially, if you want to break it down for for delaying your number one overall pick by a year 
you just you got the same pick, the number one overall. You delayed it by a year. You got uh, Darnell Wright, DJ Moore, um, Tyreek Stevenson, and a second rounder from in the future draft for delaying your number one overall pick by a year. Not bad. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm not, I don't care, but now because you've got that number one overall pick almost locked up and there's really nothing you can do to control that at this point No, is you beat Carolina when you played them. Um, and the, the Cardinals have won a few games and you play them. So they've given themselves a cushion. Yeah. Um, so, uh, there's nothing else you can do is, so you want to see improvement on this team you want to see that defense keep playing well you want to see justin fields grow and you don't care about late season wins um you know but the, the question you have to ask, ask yourself at the end of the year is is this a quarterback we can win with and is he better than what the option that we would get in the draft and two is this coaching staff because you got to look, you have five wins right now. That's not a good record. Is this a bad roster and your coaching staff is doing everything they can to keep you in games? Or is this a good roster and the coaching staff is not putting you in position to win? I mean, you know, I'm not going to say it's a good roster, but I think there's talent on this team. And I do think with an experienced coaching staff, I think you could have seven wins right now. I mean, look at those two historic losses against the Lions in Detroit and against the Broncos. Those should have been wins. That would be seven wins right there. And hell, you know, you look at some of the other losses you had. Who knows what would have happened if you were a lot more well-prepared against Green Bay in week one. Or if you came out and you looked better against the Chargers, who are just kind of meh. I mean, the, you got your ass kicked by the Chiefs. Yeah, was, yeah, you, that that was an ass kicking. Period. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's you're you're getting your ass kicked by somebody who might go down as the greatest quarterback ever. So, yeah, but it, it's, but honestly, it, I don't think this roster is nearly as bad as we thought. Is we have a legit number one guy at wide receiver. Other than center, our. I mean, early in the season, that line was a disaster because of injuries and et cetera, and guys being out of position. Um, But as of now, other than center, like, not so bad. Uh, You've got – your defense is showing to be one of the better ones. I mean, I still think you need another edge rusher. Mm -hmm. And if if they're able to pick up, you know, like a Jared Verse that – the edge rusher from Florida state, uh, you know, that suddenly maybe that's a pretty darn good defense. Um, you've got a quarterback that a lot of people in players and coaches in the league think is a legitimate player. Um, and you've got a, a running back rotation that, you know, there's no superstars in there, but there's, there's a bunch of decent players that, you know, hey, this is a roster you should be able to make the post. I mean, 
you know, I, I think this is a roster that's better than some of the bottom ro- uh, playoff rotation, or I mean, this playoff uh, type teams. I mean, I think this is better than the Steelers roster and their better record. They have a better coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, you got Mike Tomlin. And I mean, Mitch Trubisky is now. Thank you, Mitch, for helping us out, buddy. Mitch looks so bad. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I even tweeted, I'm like, we went to the playoffs twice with this guy. He, I put that, uh, uh, you know, he, he just, Mitch was being Mitch. He was out. I mean, you had two, that was a bad quarterback matchup with Bailey Zappi and uh, Mitch Trubisky on Thursday night football, but Hey, Thursday night football also had uh, Tyson Bagent versus Bryce young and the one win Panthers. Um, But, you know, quickly looking at, the 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 draft and the way it's sort of shaping up is all right let's say there's let's just assume the bears get the number one pick and that they finish i'm gonna say 10 with picks one and 10 um honestly you can't draft at that number one spot if you decide, unless you are going to draft a quarterback, you can't take that pick at number one, I don't think. I mean, so, okay, so the most likely teams drafting after that would be uh, the Patriots mm-hmm. and then the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Are the Cardinals going to draft a quarterback? They got Kyler Murray. What if you really want Marvin Harrison Jr.? I, I I mean, the Cardinals are a wild card. I mean, the Cardinals are going to have another decent pick too because they have um, Texans number one. But the the Cardinals are going to be an interesting one because I, I mean, what has Kyler Mur- Kyler Murray done since he came back from injury? Not much. Well, and I I understand that, but you have a you have a big commitment to him. Yeah, but if you don't feel he's the guy, you can move on. I mean, we're we're starting to see that teams are not feeling, you know, married to bad player. They just they take that dead cap hit and move on. <laughs> Especially if you're a bad team, you know, you're not overpaying a bunch of players. Like it's one thing if you're a good team and you you're saddled with that. But if you're if you're a bad team that doesn't have, you know, a ton of, of big name players, you can sort of afford it. That's what the Bears did. They were like, oh, we're bad. Let's just get rid of let's get out from under this debt and and build for the future. Uh I think they could do it. it I mean, it would suck for a year or two, but yeah, you know, that it, probably a year, but it's is what it is. Um it's going to be interesting to see, are they going to stay married to him or are they going to, are they going to try to use this opportunity to, to get themselves the quarterback of the future? Um, But I mean, honestly, if you're not drafting a quarterback number one overall, I, I think it's stupid to, to, 
to draft number one because you can really set yourself up for the future by the capital gain from moving back. Even if you don't move all the way back to nine and you don't get that full, you know, haul like they got from the Panthers, if the, in theory, Caleb Williams should be a more, uh, a more desirable number one pick than Bryce Young. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, if, if Bryce, I, I, I get what you're saying. If Bryce Young was six, four to 30, I would say, I would say, you know, no, because, but the size, his size really made people question. Um, and Caleb Williams comes in more NFL ready. And I would say he's much more desirable. And so you're going to have more teams trying to get that pick. But I, so I think just the future number ones or players that you can bring back, uh, they're going to set yourself up. You're going to be able to get a good player. If you step back a few spots, um, I, I think it's silly if, if you're not going to draft a quarterback staying number one. You know, I, I love Marvis and Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's really good. But um, Malik Neighbors from LSU is also a damn good wide receiver. Um, uh, the uh, the guy from Washington, uh, Dunze, he's really good too. So you've got some good, uh, good wide receivers there. Um, Jared Verse, though, is you know, if you were to drop back towards the eight nine pick, Jared Verse, the edge rusher out of Florida State, would be huge. Um. You know, I, I just, I'm just, I think the value is too high. If you decide Justin Fields is the dude that you can't draft number one, the pressure is really high on getting that right. If you trade back and you get multiple picks that gives you flexibility and, you know, more bites at the apple and early bites at the apple. I, I get what you're saying. I do. And I love Marvin Harrison Jr. I just, I just would not. I would rather have three number one picks, and then, than Marvin Harrison Jr. That's fair. That's uh, fair. And and the other thing I think about the draft is we'll talk more as we get closer. But you know, two of the the really highly rated players as of you know, now are um, the offensive tackles from Notre Dame and Penn State, uh, Fashanu and Alt. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, the Bears should pick one of those. I'm, I don't know if I agree. Is I think Braxton Jones has been good enough that picking 
picking a top five pick with an offensive tackle seems like a luxury, you know, to up the upgrade over, over Braxton Jones with one of these guys. Is that warrant? Because then that means Braxton Jones is going to be a swing tackle. Um, so you essentially replace the spot that wasn't a glaring hole where you do have, you know, I think you just get better value. It would be like drafting. If you sign Jalen Johnson and still draft a cornerback when you've got, you know, four cornerbacks on your roster that are good. You're like, well, Kool-Aid McKinstry is really good. Yeah, he is really good. It's just not a hole for you. And I think, you know, best player available is great. Except if you, you've got to be picking in a spot that you actually have a need, um, you know, like if best player available is quarterback and you're the, the chiefs, you're not picking a quarterback because you've got one. Um, you know, the, the way this is shaping up is if you feel like Justin Fields is your guy, it's shaping up that the first couple picks are going to be quarterback and then offensive tackle. There's a tight end. That's going to be high up there. Um, and, and then it's, you know, towards number 10 is when you've got the edge rushers and, uh, um, you know, other wide receivers that are, that are going to be picked. So I think the bears, this is like a prime thing for, if you're, if you decide Justin Fields is your dude to move down and not lose out on, you know, this year you felt like you lost out a little bit. You love the guy you got, but you feel like you lost out a bit because guys got picked before you. Um, in this draft, I think the the guys that you want most likely are are the ones that are going to fall to around number ten. So you could get pick of the litter of players that you actually want. And that's that's fair. Uh. Um, but I mean, really, I guess the last thing to say about the bears is, uh, you know, next game is next Sunday against Cleveland. And that's a team that's led by Joe Flacco. <laughs> yeah. Go out and do it again. Is is that game at home or is that on the road? Uh, it's in Cleveland. It's in Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. So you had, so you had what three out of four, road games over this stretch yeah uh no the last four games um next week is on the road and the last game is on the road but arizona and atlanta are here well no what i'm saying is you were in detroit you were in minnesota then you're Uh at home and then you're going back on the road again gotcha Um, gotcha so you know there was one comment i wanted to make today about today's game Were were you paying attention on tv at all to the crowd at soldier field there was a lot of Lions fans, it looked like. Yeah, I I have I have never seen that many visiting fans at Soldier Field. And maybe there was, you know, I remember last year there were a lot of Philly fans at Soldier Field, but boy, there was a lot of Honolulu Blue. And I had a friend who was at the game and I was like, yo, man, there, it looks like there's a lot of Lions fans there. And he's like, yeah, honestly, down this lower bowl area, it's like 40, 60 Lions fans. Like there, there huh. were a lot of sections where there were seemingly more Lions fans and Bears fans. Uh, 
you know, I don't know what the whole ratio was around the the whole stadium, but my goodness, there was a ton of blue there. I mean, you know, the weather and the expectation that the bears were going to lose probably, probably, uh, you know, had bears fans like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to go to this game. It's cold and shitty and, and they're going to lose and probably just flip their tickets. Uh, I could see that. Um, but they missed out on a great game. Well, and you know, um, Lions fans have traveled all year. I, I mean, they traveled well to Lambeau field. There was a ton of blue at Lambeau field. There was a lot of blue at Arrowhead stadium last year. They were talking about how much blue there was in freaking new Orleans. So they've been traveling well all year. And obviously, you know, when the lions come to town, typically, yeah, you know, there's always some pockets. You see some Honolulu blue and silver spread out, but it's, you know, sprinkles here or there. You know, Detroit's not far away, but this year it was more than just some sprinkles. I mean, there were sections that looked completely filled with Lions fans. And, you know, I, I'm obviously not talking bad about them or saying anything was wrong. I'm just saying it was like, wow, it was very noticeable, the visiting. Because, I mean, you know, in Chicago, you're, you're not Los Angeles like the Chargers, especially where every game's basically a road game for them. Or if you even go down to like Jacksonville, you know, a lot of visiting fans go down to Jacksonville. We're used to seeing Bears fans fill up other stadiums. This was a this was an instance where our stadium was getting filled up by the other team. And, you know, we're used to seeing a lot of Packer fans here when they play Green Bay. We're used to even a decent number of Vikings fans come down. But you know, with the the line, the Lions have always had a big fan base, but they're traveling particularly well this year. And boy, I mean, they they really made themselves notice. I mean, when they when they took the lead, just based on TV, it sounded like we were at Ford Field. I just thought that was wild. Yeah, I, you know, it'll be nice when we finally have a dome. And I think I think it's a lot harder to to have that happen because I think it's it, when their Bears are not playing well. And the weather is bad. I think just people are – the tendency is people will give up their seats more likely. But if there's the dome, I think people will still go. Uh, so like, hey, it's going to be 75 in here. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm still going to go even if they're going to lose. Um, you know. And, and the Bears, new stadium in the south lot. Huh? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Uh, the whole stadium situation has been a disaster. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's getting resolved anytime soon. No. I mean, the good thing is, is we're, we're playing at soldier field for another like six years anyway, after this year. So and it's going to take like three, maybe four to build a new stadium. So we've got like two years to, to lock up, you know, where it's going to be. So it's not like they're in a hurry. Right, right. It's just you, you want to have this figured out. You do, yeah, absolutely. And the longer it takes, is the more embarrassing it is. But uh, it's uh, it, it's not like it's a rush. Um, I don't know about you, but I kind of want to talk about baseball. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a, what what a circus. What a circus the whole winter meetings was. 
with the yeah. reporting. What a circus. And you know what? I'm going to give credit to Bob Nightingale for calling it out and admitting it. That was not a good look for MLB reporting. Yeah, the Morosi thing about the plane, uh, that was a that was a big swing and a miss. Um and this whole you know, the the whole coverage of the Otani situation was it was super bad. Like I know that they wanted secrecy, but man, it it really uh it really was bad reporting. You know, I would rather hear nothing than than guesses and lies and you know th- what we got. Well, and you heard about the report Bob Nightingale made about the Cubs potentially involving Christopher Morell in a trade. Uh-huh. And Jed Hoyer not happy about that. No. And confronted him. Conf- yeah, he confronted him. And then here you are in, in the midst of all these rumors and the fact that your own president of baseball operations is chewing out a guy. It's like, yeesh, there, there's, they're, they're clearly not happy with this kind of reporting. And I think it was a big wake up call. Yeah. But in the end, Otani went the place that I think we all thought he was going to go anyway. Um, just for a lot more money than we were expecting. Let's let's be real based on what we heard and what we understand about how teams operate. Otani wanted to be a Dodger. They were going to make it work to be a Dodger. He wasn't coming to the Cubs. We hoped, we prayed, it wasn't going to happen. I'm not here to give up on the offseason on something that just was not going to happen. With all that being said, it's go time. You got to be serious now. Yeah. I mean, because I'm, I'm concerned, but I'm not giving up on anything. Is, is, you know, I, I agree with you. hundred percent is, is Otani was, even if you were one of the finalists, you were on the outskirts. Um, and I honestly, I think, I think Otani wanted to be a Dodger. The he liked Toronto. Toronto, I think I think Toronto's the one that drove that price up a lot. It was a leverage ploy. And I don't know if it was a leverage ploy per se. I think he really would have gone to the Blue Jays, but I think he gave the opportunity to go like he took that final offer from Blue Jays that he liked, brought it back to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers bumped it up and sweetened the pot and, and made him happy. But I I think the Cubs at the end of the day were, uh, you know, they, even if they were in it, they weren't in it. And now, and now that they've sort of, um, you know, it's been, the door's been closed on Otani there is a slim margin for them to walk away from this off season better than they were last season. And they've got to do things right to, to make it work. 
This will involve trades and signing guys. It will involve trade and signing guys. Um, is I think your free agent focus has to be uh, Bellinger. I don't know if you agree or not. I think that's the case. I like him back, but boy, he's going to get paid. He's going to get paid. But I think the market, the good thing is I think the the Dodgers, Gary, Gary was telling me that he thinks he'll go back to the Dodgers. And I know the Dodgers have been, there's talks that they still have room to play with, but I don't see that marriage happening again i think they're gonna go after yamamoto before they go after bellinger the team i'm worried about about bellinger is the giants i think the giants the giants are in but the yankees are out i just got Juan soto so yeah so i think i think that the number of teams that have the budget and the need for bellinger are have significantly shrunk which is good for the cubs and the fact that he played for the Cubs last year, liked it there, loved the fans, loved his experience. I think I think he gets the benefit of the doubt. So as long as the money's in the right ballpark, uh, I mean, obviously, if the Giants come out with some astronomical contract, you know, and blows him away. But I think I think if the money in the, the years, all things considered, are close i would think he would choose the cubs over the giants it just that's you got to make that work um third base there's smoke around matt chapman which the bat decline is making me a little nervous the bat decline is nervous that glove is good can you imagine that infield with chapman Swanson Horner is your infield. You're going to save a lot of runs. Oh yeah. No kidding. Absolutely. I mean, that would be a hell of a defensive field right there. It's just you, when you have a third baseman, you need run production. I agree. That's, that should be a, a position of pop. There's just, uh, I mean, who's the market there? Like uh, what you, you need to do better than Patrick wisdom. I I think they're pretty high on Chris Morrell, but he's got a lot of work to do defensively. Okay. So let's say that if your plan is to pull a Nick Madrigal and, and convince or get him to be a better third baseman. Okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. Chris Morrell at third, then Who's your DH? I don't know. Um, so you need you need an, a bat, and between you need a first baseman, a third baseman, and a DH. And right now you've got Morrell. Matt um, Mervis. I don't know. I don't think you can go into the season counting on Matt Mervis. Well, I mean, I think that if you go after Reese Hoskins to be your first baseman, if you were to get Matt Chapman as well, then Christopher Morrell comes into play. You know, I think plan A would be 
still trying to make that Pete Alonso trade happen. And I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I don't I think really so. don't. I don't think so either. Uh, and so I think Reese Hoskins is probably and Reese Hoskins, you know, the K rate's pretty high, but that guy's got some power on him. Um, yeah, oh, he does. Yes, he does. So that would make that would take care of first. And then if you could bring Bellinger back, he could, you know, he could rotate between DH first base and center field. I mean, I guess he could play any of the three outfield spots, first base or DH. Um, That just leaves third base and that if sure Morrell is going to play some there, but it would be nice to have, be nice to have another guy uh you know max muncie wouldn't have had an option but he resigned um i don't there's not a i mean without trading there's not a lot of options there is uh, i i would rather than chapman i would rather make the trade with the white Sox and get their third baseman Yoan Mankata? Yeah. Uh no. You, I I think I think in a better clubhouse uh with better bats surrounding him I think you could see Damaged some damage goods. It's possible. Bad back. He's a hell of a third baseman but that that bat has just not been there like we thought it would be for a while. I just he if the White Sox could eat some of that contract, he's gonna make less than Matt Chapman. And I think I think you'd get better offensive production out of it. You're also giving up a lot of capital that isn't money for a wild card. If you well, it's gonna depend. If if you're eating a lot of that contract, and we'll get to that to the White Sox, I think I think if you paid all of that contract, you could give him a player to be named later almost and get that, get him. I mean, if they're that desperate to get rid of him, maybe. Well, I think, I think Jerry Reinsdorf is just doesn't want to pay anybody. And if he could get, if he could get that contract off the books, I think, I think that would be Getz's marching orders is make it happen. I think it would be a salary dump. I think the White Sox would jump at that. I mean, it's possible. It's definitely possible. I mean, they've clearly made it very clear that they're not afraid to get rid of any of that old core. I mean, you've you already got rid of Tim Anderson. You know, he's gone. You're probably going to trade Dylan Cease if you're the White Sox. So if they're trying to flip everything, my question is, I mean, every move they've made signals rebuild, but you hear Chris Getz and you're you're hearing conflicting things from what Chris Getz is saying and what they're doing. It's like, are they trying to like contend while rebuild? I I, I just I don't know. I I think we'll get there in a minute. 
I just want to finish up the Cubs, but I've got a lot of thoughts about that. Um, but uh, back to the Cubs, I think you really have to focus your attention on Bellinger and Reese Hoskins. Um, third base maybe ends up being a trade. Um, maybe a Chapman, maybe it's a Morrell retooling on his defense. Um, a Bieber or glass now trade, I think would be big. And I'm going to throw a name out there where he's older now, but I think as a bench bat and a utility position player, I think you could really do good things with him. The flirting finally ends with Merrifield. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I just, my, my one problem is I feel like he's going in the other direction. Yeah, but you're not relying on him for anything. He no. is, he, he, he plays the poor man's Ben Zobrist role. Yeah, he does. He's going to be, he's going to be that super utility guy that, that bat that comes in that he's, he's an annoying at bat for the other team. Even if his he's not the same guy and he's older, I think having a guy like that is would be big. Um, that veteran experience and that uh, I think I think that would be huge for um, you know your new manager to have have that weapon. Like I, I don't, he's not just that clutch bat that's not going to strike out a lot and the ability to play play multiple positions on the infield or outfield i think i think is is a big get um allows you to do a lot of things with off the bench or subbing in you know spot starts if need be i think i think that would be a good i don't think anybody's paying him to be a starter unless it's a scrub team that's, you know, that doesn't want to pay anybody. But I think for the Cubs and the opportunity to play for a team that could be a contender, I think that could be a marriage. You know who I like? And I, 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 I think you've made some good points. The one I like that's been rumored about uh, acquisition in in like a trade is, I really like Josh Naylor from the Cleveland Guardians. We've heard his name getting tossed around there. Is I mean, are they are they looking to trade him? I mean, he's been rumored in packages with Bieber. If you were to make a big deal. Uh, maybe. Um, and another name I'm gonna throw out there. I, I haven't heard any rumors about this, but it's it's a council guy and it's it fits it fits what um the cubs have been trying to do under jed is you take a, a flyer on brandon woodruff oh i think a lot of people would like that i i think i think that fits you know he, he's injured so you're paying him the on the hopes he comes back but you know, he's played for council and 
that's the type of move that the Cubs have done several times under Jed. Um, you know, I think I think that's a, a legit possibility. Yeah, I think so too. I really do. I I mean, I think his names uh, came up involving the Cubs as soon as he was cut. Um, you know, I, I don't, I mean, the good thing is, is I don't hate their rotation as it stands on what date today, the, the 10th, early December, um, is Steele, Tyone, Assad, Wicks, Hendricks. I don't hate that rotation. I don't hate it, but if you're going to make a legit run, you got to improve. Yeah. I, I think Yamamoto is is going to the Mets. Would um, very well be. I mean, Yamamoto is asking for 300 plus a million for a guy who's never pitched in the majors before. Yeah. And the Mets have that kind of money and that kind of a crazy owner. And apparently Yamamoto and Kodai Senga are like really good friends. And uh, Senga has been recruiting him. So it, it seems like that's the way that's going to go. But, you know, if you could get a glass now or a Bieber um, to add to that rotation, I, uh, I, I think, I think that makes it that much better. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, but yeah, you've got a lot of work to do if you're the Cubs. You've you've got to you've got to work that. And I luckily Bellinger was going to be one of the later signings anyway because he's a Boris agent. Right. They're he's gonna they're gonna wait it out. Um. So you got the opportunity to to fill those other holes, but you're you're gonna have to work. You're gonna have to get that done. I think you know. I think there's smoke. There's a lot of smoke and fire where the Reese Hoskins things is um, and it makes a lot of sense. So I think that happens, but then it's just, you got to solve that third base and, and then add another pitcher and some bullpen arms. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of work to do and they haven't really done anything yet, but there's plenty of off season left. Oh yeah. There's a ton. I mean, not a lot of teams have done anything. No, I mean we were waiting out on the Otani stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, to flip to the White Sox and if, to finish the, kind of the question you had is, I think the White Sox are trying to put together a team that isn't tanking, but is rebuilding but doesn't look like a rebuild. Like they're like, Oh, look, we're actively adding players. We're making trades. We're making moves. But in the end, what, what is this roster really going to look like? I mean, like, all right, you got Max Stassi. So you got a, you got a absolutely dreadful bad. He's a good framer, good defender, but yeah, yeah. I can't hit. I mean, he, he's a, I mean, Last year was okay, but the year before he was a stellar, stellar defender. Um, so I, I, I don't hate that move. Um, 
Like, I don't hate that move at all. He's a little old, but I don't hate that move. Um, you know, you, you brought Cousins in on that minor league contract, and it's a low cost with some decent upside, potential upside. Um, uh, you got a guy from the Red Sox in the Rule 5 draft. Um, you've got uh, uh, the guy from the Korean Baseball League. Oh, Eric Fetty? Yeah, Fetty. You signed him for, you know... Fede, Fetty, whatever it is. I former national. Two-year deal. Fetty. Yeah, two-year deal, but that one, the way that money is structured is it it's structured where a lot of it's going to be deferred until next year, which makes me think that he's a guy that they're hoping to flip. Yeah, it could very well be. I mean, based on the way they structured that, it's not like they're hurting for money or anything. So, you know, if they plan to keep him, you're like, well, why wouldn't you front load that? So, you know, you have gives you more wiggle room next year. I think I think they're planning to flip him. And uh, so then the other team has has to take more of that financial responsibility. Um, so they've made some moves, but they're not stellar moves. They're bodies. They're bodies. And, and ultimately, you're, you're right now, like these are the names that you have to choose from for your starting rotation. Uh, and this is assuming that Dylan Cease is still there. And I think I think Dylan Cease is going to get traded to the Dodgers. I Yeah, it's going to be the Dodgers, it's going to be the Braves, or it could be like the Orioles. I think it's going to be the Dodgers because they're going to dump some of those prospects and they're going to put the best team they can around uh, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. And you, he doesn't cost that much for the next like two years, uh, except prospects, which you have. So I think that makes a whole lot of sense for the Dodgers. But I, I don't, don't think, think the Dodgers give a shit about their prospect pool right now. No. Um, so I don't think Dylan Cease will be there. But for for the sake of of where we're at, your pool right now is Dylan Cease, Eric Fetty. Uh, Michael Kopech, uh, Soroka, Jared Schuster, Jesse Schultons, and Tuki Toussaint. Mm. That's your that's your pool, mm. and you take you take Dylan Cease out of that. Uh, Michael Kopech is your is your opening day starter. Then, sure, it's not Tuki Toussaint. <laughs> like I, you know. Honestly, Please. is everything that's happening screams screams Jerry Reinsdorf is trying to make more money. You saw the whole thing about him meeting with the uh, Nashville higher ups, right? Yeah, and there's there's no chance that they're moving to Nashville. No, I don't think so either. I think it's all for more leverage. I, I, I just don't see them moving. He's trying to create leverage because it's time to start 
talking about renegotiating a deal for a new stadium. And honestly, is the climate has changed a whole lot since the time that guaranteed rate stadium was built and nobody is giving him that sweetheart deal. Just not going to happen. No. So he's going to try to get his sweetheart of one as he can. And it's just, but he's not going to get it. He's not going to be happy. Um, because, and he's not moving. Well, what if David Eckstein tells him to move? I mean, can you imagine how, how big of a black eye that would be for the MLB to have a franchise move from the third biggest market to Nashville, a place you've been for well over a century now. Yeah. That the, the NFL or the MLB is not going to let that happen. No, it's, it's not going to happen. The profits aren't there either. It doesn't make financial sense for him either. It's is the sad thing is, is Jerry Reinsdorf. This is all a business. This is all a business. It is all about profit. He doesn't care a thing about wins and losses. It's all about making money. And, and that's really sad. And honestly, Chris Getz was put in there, not because he was the best, because number one, Chris Getz does not get paid a lot. And number two is Chris Getz is, uh, a guy that's just going to do the bidding of Jerry, which is keep the payroll low and keep the profits high. Yep. I mean, that's, that's the facts is, you know, we've, we all talked about, uh, about um, Tim Anderson that, picking up the picking up his uh his final year option made a ton of sense because it wasn't that expensive and if he rebounds you could flip him and get something for him but the white Sox went nah we're not going to because they didn't want to pay that money they signed a guy to a two-year 15 million dollar deal but they deferred a lot of the money with the assumption that they're going to trade it um, they're trading Dylan Cease because they don't want to have to pay his upcoming contract that's going to be due. And what's even worse about that is, have you ever noticed, is every time there's a player that's due money, the the media campaign against them, how they're not worth it, starts popping up. And mm. that's all. that's all a Reinsdorf. I mean, it went back to Frank Thomas and Albert Bell, and it's gone back a long way. Is is uh, even think about um, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Chris Sale is Chris Sale. You were like, oh, that guy's a, a locker room problem. He cut up his jersey. Do you think if if he was willing to sign for $5 million a year as an extension, that deck cutting up that Jersey would have meant anything. No, it's because he was going to be due a big contract and they wanted to soften the blow when they shipped him out. And they got a lot for him, 
but it was prospects, but which saved the team money is that's Jerry's MO is save money, save money. And that's what he wants to do. He wants his, him and his partners to make more money, which is just really sad is he's, he's a 90, almost a 90 year old billionaire. Don't you at some point go, you know what? I've got enough money. I want to win. Well, you would hope, you would think. Uh, it's the White Sox have a sad existence, and I, I feel really bad for their fans. It's that's it's it's just a really a really shitty situation that they're in. And Jerry Reinsdorf is, you know, he's a powerful man in the MLB, but he is really hated in this town. Right? Yes, so. he is. Yes, Rightfully he is. So. He he is he might be worse than old man works. That's a debate that could go on. At least, at least it's not a run a clear runaway winner. Uh I mean, you know, old man Wirtz was bad, took him off TV, but he owned one team. This guy owns two teams that are are two bigger sports in an era that's you know where uh where things sh- there should be money spent i mean how many teams in major league baseball have never given a 100 million dollar contract only a few i believe it's 3 right now the Sox, oakland and um, Kansas City. Kansas City, yeah. And Kansas City is about to have to pay Bichette. He's on... Or is that... He's on the Blue Jays. Blue Jays. Okay, sorry. Um, but... Let's on. Who's the... Who's, let me pull up the actual list. Um... But it's definitely the Oakland, and Oakland is gonna. Oakland is going to. They're going to, to Vegas. They're going to Vegas. They're going to have to sign somebody to make a big splash when they go. Mm-hmm. So I expect them to make a big splash soon. Um, uh, let's see. Uh-uh-uh. All right. Biggest contract by team. Um, um, Orioles have a hundred. The Rays have a hundred. Red Sox have a hundred. Yankees. Guardians. Okay, the Royals have not. Um. So there's the Royals. Uh, so you've got three teams. Um, so, I mean, the White Sox are in a huge market and they've never given a hundred million dollar contract. And their bi- isn't their biggest contract. Andrew Benintendi. Yes. 
a guy with no power. Um, I'm. It was Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt's going to be do money. Bobby Witt. Okay, yeah, not Bobichet. Yeah, sorry. Dif- different, different kid of a former player when I was a kid. <laughs> exactly. Um, Witt's going to be do a contract, and um, so you know they're they're probably going to give it. So the White Sox are going to be the last team that hasn't given a hundred million dollar contract. Certainly not going to give one this year. That's for sure. No, they're not. And the guy that's closest to getting one, uh, Dylan Cease, is everybody's. The media has already started on the well. He should be. He should be traded. Train, which is, you know, it's a pushed by Jerry Reinsdorf because you want to soften that blow with the fans. If you make if you make the media talk about how good it would be to trade him. And the right thing to do, it softens the blow with the fans. So when you do it, they are less mad. Uh, so, I, I mean, it's the wrong thing for the fans. It's the wrong things for the team. The only person that's right for would be Jerry Reinsdorf's bottom dollar. And Dylan sees himself. Because, you know what? Is Let him go to somewhere where he's going to be able to win baseball games. It's going to be a hell of a lot easier to pitch knowing that you have Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, and Mookie Betts, you know, batting behind you. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, it, it just it just sucks. You know, the White Sox, the White Sox, uh, you know, sure, their, their minor league uh, farm system has improved. They're just, they're just not really... It's not stellar yet. I mean, it could become stellar if you trade a few guys like Dylan Cease, but as of right now, it's it's what maybe middle of the pack at most. So we talked about what their pool of players for their starting rotation would be. This is what their starting lineup would look like right now. Uh, Andrew Benatendi in left, Yoan Moncada at third. Luis Robert at center, Eloy at DH, Andrew Vaughn at first, uh, Oscar Colas or Gavin Sheets in right, Paul DeYoung at shortstop, Max Stassi catching, and Nicky Lopez at second base. Like the first few guys, you're like, okay. But man, uh, six, the, you know, the six, seven, eight, nine spots in your order. Oof. Oof. That's a lot of easy outs there. Yeah, I mean, you did get better defensively in some spots, but worse offensively. So it's like a, a trade for one for the other. Yeah, this this team is this team is going to be dreadful next year, and, and the White Sox fans don't deserve that. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Um, we've been talking long. Do you want to quickly? talk Blackhawks or should we save that for next week? Let's save that for next week. I mean, you know, it was, I'll say this quickly. I got two quick points I want to make. We'll, we'll talk more in depth about it at another time, but you know, the Blackhawks tough loss tonight against the Capitals, but Hey, you won two in a row for the first time uh, this past week. Uh, You beat the blues at home, which is really, really nice. Uh, That was a really fun game to watch. Uh, you're seeing some good things from Peter Morazic. He's been playing great. 
Arvid Sutterbloom, he's struggling. You lost in the shootout against the Nashville Predators, um, where he just got absolutely baked. But Connor Bedard had that amazing shootout goal. Um, but you know, you're just kind of going along. And uh, quick Bulls note: uh, they keep winning without Zach Levine, and we can talk more about that when the time comes. But I think it's going to be a big test when they've got some good opponents coming up. Beating the Bucks was awesome. That was fun. They had great energy and everything. You've beaten some bad teams, and you're going to play some better teams going forward, so that's going to be your test. Yeah, the the only thing I want to say quick is I agree with you about the Bulls point. We'll talk more next week. Uh, Nick Foligno has been and with uh, the whole Corey Perry situation and the, uh, the Taylor Hall injury. Nick Foligno has been in a really important free agent and i thought he was going to be a guy that you'd look to flip um i don't think you can i don't think it's you can at all and in fact you should probably think about re-signing him um and dickinson has been fantastic compared to his career numbers and what he's been this year has been a bright star yeah and Lucas Reichel needs to figure a few things out. Uh, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I agree. agree. But like I said, we'll, we'll get more into that in another day. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe however you listen, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Share this podcast with your friends. That's how we grow the show. Follow us on social media at Swirsky Sports, Facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, SwirskySports.com. Um, or ShyFanPat2 for Alex on Twitter or AlexanderJPatCreative.com for all the cool stuff that Alex does. And again, Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Her, you can have her, she's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van, and she looks like number New Yorkers. Smoking crack is not legal on the plains. Bears 31 to negative 7. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go bearing down.